welcome to Bibliography, a podcast for people who love a good to-be-read list. I'm David Kern here at Goldberry Books in Concord, North Carolina, and this is a conversation show about the ways books make our lives richer. This week's guest is poet Kate Baer. She's the number one New York Times bestselling author of What Kind of Woman, a book that Publishers Weekly describes as, quote, confident and fearless, end quote. Bear suggests, quote, that the deepest and most vulnerable love is found in life's imperfections, end quote. Or as a write-up on the Today Show put it, quote, Bear's debut poetry collection dives headfirst into the intricacies of motherhood against the balance of what is expected of women, end quote. Bear's work has also been published in The New Yorker, Literary Hub, Huffington Post, and The New York Times. And her second collection of poems is out this week. It's called I Hope This Finds You Well. It's inspired by critical messages and comments she received over the past year, primarily on social media. Bear created the poems in the collection by deleting words from the original, more ugly messages that she received, such that what's left over is a poem. Erasure poetry is not new, per se, but in Bear's hands, it becomes a contemporary feminist vision that is both exploring and commenting on what it means to be a woman in the 21st century. It's a deeply personal collection of poems, yet it's also full of so much empathy that it can't help but be universal. Kate was kind enough to join me recently to chat about the books that inspire and move her, with a few side conversations about poetry more generally. So here's Kate Baer, author of the new collection, I Hope This Finds You Well, out this week. Well, Kate, thanks so much for making time to come on the podcast. I'm super excited to talk about books with you. And of course, congratulations on your new book. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. So normally I start with this question. People who have listened before will have have heard this. But the question is, you know, we're here to talk about the books that you love, uh, the books that have meant the most to you over the years. So when is the first time that you fell in love with a book? Like, do you remember that sort of like first moment when books became something different to you? I mean, I always loved reading as a kid. Um, It's hard to pull apart. I think we are prone as humans to tell ourselves narratives of our childhood instead of (laughs) what actually happened. (laughs) So I'm not sure what's true and what's not true. My parents said I read at an early age and that I just couldn't stop reading. I don't, I mean, I remembered loving to read. I don't remember the first books I read. Um, but Judy Bloom was some, was an author that I read a ton of and I don't, but I couldn't tell you what age I was. I mean, was I six or was I 12? I have no idea, but (laughs) Judy Bloom and Beverly Cleary were definitely two writers that I gravitated to, or at least when I was getting one of their books, I knew I would love it. I knew there was like a hundred percent chance that it would be something that I love, which that's always such a great feeling. And not maybe not when we get as much as adults. I think mm. when you're a kid, I don't know. It, it happened to me. There were some authors that I knew when I got a book, I would love it. And that it would be the next best book I read. And so, mm. you know, those two authors, whenever I was getting a new book, I, I felt so excited. Um, so those are two that I, that come to mind. Did you, did you grow up in a reading house then? Yeah. My mom was a teacher and taught English. Um, to mm. be honest, she didn't really have much time to read during the school year, but yeah, Yeah. she read a lot during the summer. Um, my dad doesn't really read too much uh, fiction, but, um, yeah, I would say we were a reading house 
but not, you know, they weren't like professors and it wasn't like we didn't have a TV. I also watched a ton of TV, so <laughs> yeah. it wasn't like yeah. that <laughs> for, for, yeah. by any means, but oh yeah, I read a ton. Yeah. Sometimes you talk to people and they're like, I was the only reader in my family and everyone looked at me like I was a weirdo. Cause I liked, cause I like to spend time reading books, but it sounds like, yeah, no, encouraged. Yeah. no, they were, they were happy that I was reading, but no, it was, I didn't feel weird. I felt normal <laughs> to so, be reading. So you, so did you read poetry as a kid? No, not really. Shel Silverstein, but no, yeah, I wasn't yeah. a poetry kid. I think poetry has a pretty big stigma for most kids. Like it's for yeah. adults and for serious people. And um, which is a shame that poetry gets such a bad rap, especially in the early years and in school. But no, I didn't read much poetry as a child. No. So your poetry may not be like intended for kids, but uh, that most kids probably wouldn't understand a lot of what you're talking about in your poems or, you know, the experiences that yeah. you're alluding to. But do you still feel like when you're writing that you are trying to get rid of or avoid that negative stigma that you mentioned that it has for a lot of people that they grew up with? Sure. I mean, I'm not thinking about kids specifically, but I right. do. I think that most writers would say this. I'm writing the poetry I want to read. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people toss out words like accessible, which can sometimes be kind of a funny word. It's kind of like the word flattering. And people <laughs> are like, that's a flattering cut on you. And it's kind of like, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> what is it normally? What do you, yeah. yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I, I do, you know, I think there is the potential for anyone, any kind of reader to love poetry. It's just a matter of finding what you're going to, click with. And so I guess for me, I'm just writing the poetry that I, I would want to read and trying to write poetry that I, I enjoy reading myself. So yeah, yeah, sure. Well, did you, so when did you, did you start reading poetry? In college? I mean, maybe some in high school, but, but college was kind of when I started reading it on a more regular basis. Um, I took a poetry class, which that's like every English major, but <laughs> um, yeah, I think that is when I started to get more excited about poetry and started to write more of it then. Yeah. Were there any poets that like you immediately read them and they changed your, they changed your life? Like maybe you've posed, going back to the original question that I asked, like you first fell in love with these poets and it made you think I want to do that. Yeah. It's maybe predictable, but Mary Oliver was definitely okay, yeah. the first, um, which a lot of people would say Maya Angelou as well. I was reading more of her novels, but, um, mm -hmm. those two writers stick out to me as people that were very formative, very early on. Not that I was really writing much then, but I was reading that. And Mary Oliver is a very easy poet to read. And I mean that in a very high praise kind of way. Mm -hmm. And so she, she really clicked for me right away because when you read, it's like, it feels like when you're studying poetry in school, it's like, you're either going to read Mary Oliver or like the Iliad. And, and so there's just not enough there <laughs> we're, we're looking at. And so it's like, Oh my God, like Mary Oliver, I can read this and I can understand what she's saying right away. I can feel it right away. Um, and there's so many more poets out there like that. It just yeah. wasn't immediately in front of me. Like yeah. she was, she's made that the list of, people who get taught in school <laughs> and it's also yeah. like that. Yeah. So yeah. did you, um, did, so you, did, you didn't necessarily start writing right away because of reading Mary Oliver then? 
Well, I was, I mean, I was writing poetry in high school and college, but it was really bad. And I think a lot of people write bad poetry then. Sure. Um, but no, I wasn't, I wasn't writing it on a consistent basis until recently. Like, and I'm, I mean that in like a everyday kind of way. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you, um, so, so you said that Mary Oliver is, is you can understand it. Like she's not trying to be so clever that it, like obfuscates yeah. what she's trying to say, or like you can't sure. figure out what these images have to do with each other, or whatever. Do you, do what? I'm mean, like, what else do you like about her work and the other poets that you read that then you would love to have people describe your work in the same way? I guess something that's big with Mary Oliver and people like Ellen Bass or Bass, however you say her name, or Mary Rufel, it's like I see myself in those poems, and I think that's mm. what we're looking for. And most of the time when we're reading, is to see yourself. Yeah. In some way, um, and that doesn't mean that it, it necessarily means a man can't find their work in what I'm reading, or or that like someone who doesn't have children can't find themselves mm. in something about children. But I, I I think when you're when you can see yourself just in, in an emotion or um, in the text somehow, that's that is the most important. Mm. One thing I like about your work is. I'm, I've got a lot of women who have children in my life, my wife, my mom, a lot of our friends who, who really, really love your work because they, I think they feel seen, they see themselves in, in your work. Yeah. But I like that it's both for someone like me who is married with children, um, who, who does see the challenges every day. There's, it, it creates new ways of empathizing. Yeah. Um, like it's challenging me to like be sympathetic, but also gives me ways to, to empathize um, yeah. and to to have a lot of respect for what, for example, being a mother means. It, Cause I, it's not something I can really ever know. Right. 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 Um, so I really appreciate that about your work. And I think that that's what, as you said, that's what a lot of great poetry does. And that means that it can be very meaningful in times when things are really confusing or difficult. Um, sure. So I think probably, you know, a lot of, a lot of people read your work and when things are hard, you're giving voice to that experience, the things they're going through. So are there books like that for you that when things have been difficult or challenging or, you know, you don't have to like, this isn't therapy, <laughs> but like, what are the, what are some of the books that helped you through difficult times? I don't know if I could necessarily name a book that's helped me through a hard time. I think for me, I'm the kind of person <laughs> that when I'm having a hard time, I can't pick up a book. Mm. So, you know, hmm. Michael Scott is kind of a poem to me because <laughs> when I think about all the hardest times in my life, now this maybe is a very strange way to answer this question. I think about the office and I, <laughs> it's again, that's a, that's like almost like saying Mary Oliver is your favorite poet. Um, <laughs> but I know from reading enough interviews that those people that, that start in the office, when they're walking around the streets, people will come up to them with tears in their eyes and say, I was going through cancer or I lost my child or my husband left me. And this is the only thing that I could do. This is the only show that I could watch. This is like the only, I, I wasn't unable to do anything else. And I do think that poetry can be like that in that maybe this is the only thing I can digest at the time. There's a poem mm. um, called to the woman crying uncontrollably in the bathroom stall, or it's some combination of those words in that title. I've read that 
a hundred times because it, it really brings me a lot of peace. Mm. I wouldn't say there's a book, but there are poems like that. Mm. Good bones by Maggie Smith. Um, a lot, there's a Wanda Coleman poem. Um, there, there's a bunch of poems like that, uh, um, that have really brought me peace and just like watching an episode of the office is I, I can, I can absorb that. I can take that in now. a whole book. I don't know yeah. when I'm having a difficult time there. I, I don't read. Um, and I think, I actually think that's how it is for a lot of people yeah, and why a lot of people turn to poetry in 2020 um, because it was something that they could digest. Mm. You've posted a lot of work on Instagram online. Um, yeah. And that's made it made people made it accessible to people. I don't mean in the sense that like like they just had access to it. Um, yeah, right. Oh, yeah. That, that wouldn't necessarily normally be people who buy a book of poetry because sure. of that stigma that we talked about earlier. Was that conscious? Like, were you doing that consciously in 2020, trying to share it because it was going to make it accessible? Almost like you turn on Netflix and The Office was just there. It was the second yeah. thing or the first thing sure. on the list. Yeah, yeah. I think. I think sometimes there's this like idea that you shouldn't share your work for free, which mm-hmm. I under I understand that as a business model. Although I would say that giving a preview of your work is maybe the better business model because you're mm-hmm. you're showing people what they might find in a whole published book of yours. Um, but yeah, I there there's a Instagram account called Poetry is Not a Luxury that is really blown up, and and that um, Instagram account posts poetry from all over all different kinds of poets from 1700s till now um and this it's really gotten huge because i think people it's just in your feed it's right in front of you you didn't have to search for it they're they're usually pretty short enough that you can quickly read um and i i sometimes look at what people are writing underneath and They'll say things like, I didn't really think I loved poetry so much, yeah. but here I am loving all these different poems from all these different sorts of people. Uh, because like I said, so many people think that poetry is not for them. They just need, they just need to explore. They, they just need some options. Yeah. Yeah. So can, can you recommend a couple, a couple of other poets? I mean, you've mentioned a few so far. Is there any collections in particular? Yeah. Um, or even other Instagram accounts <laughs> that you would recommend yeah, for people. That's a great one to find a whole different bunch. That That's the number one one I recommend. Olivia Gatwood wrote a book, um, Life of the Party, that I think young people could really connect to. Audre Lorde, of course, there are some like evergreen poets like Audre Lorde mm-hmm. um, and Maya Angelou. And um, <laughs> I do not know how to say her name, Kim. At, it's spelled, I have it up here on my desktop, actually, A-D-D-O-N-I-Z-I-O. I, know, I have a hard time pronouncing it. She's the one who wrote one of my, my favorite poems. Do you, can you say it? I don't know. Lucille Clifton, um, Sharon Olds, Joy Jaro. No, I can't say <laughs> I'm bad at the yeah. names too. <laughs> I, I get stuck. I, I'm in interviews, you know, a lot being asked my favorite poets, and I really need to learn how to pronounce last names because sometimes I get really tripped up anyway. Yeah. I, there's so much out there and it just, it just takes a tiny bit of effort. Although hardly any effort, if you're just going to follow accounts that repost poetry, I mean, that's a great way to get plugged in without having to go to the library. Do you ever feel like, like someone say they're reading your poem online um, or it gets written about in some write up in some magazine or the newspaper or blog or, somebody does a podcast on it or something. 
do you ever have experiences where people talk about your poetry and then completely miss the point? And then like, what do you do when that happens? Like, do you just let that be? Or do you feel like, you know, I should also do another book of people who, of poems where people are misunderstanding my poetry. Yeah, no, I don't, I, I don't know. I think it's fun when people interpret poems in ways that I didn't imagine. I wrote a poem called the Martian, literally about a Martian, uh, it's in what kind of woman. And it was about like, what if an alien came to earth basically <laughs> and was looking at everything for the first time. And just about everyone who reads that thinks I'm talking about a child. And I love that because it totally sounds like that as well. And I don't know that, that to me isn't, that's not insulting to me. That's incredible. I, I yeah. love when that kind of thing happens. I don't, I don't, I think usually I don't read reviews, so maybe it's happening there, but it, for the most part, I don't, I don't come up against that very often. And when I do, I, I don't know, it doesn't bother me. Why don't you read reviews? You just don't want to have to, and you don't, does it, are you worried about clouding your own work or you just don't want to cloud your brain with, with, with when positive I say or I don't, negativity? Uh, when I say I don't read reviews, I mean, I don't read like Goodreads reviews or Amazon oh, right. reviews, yeah, yeah, yeah. places where anyone can say anything because yeah, I think yeah. that can be really, it's just untrue to a lot of things that are, I, I don't know. I, no, I'm not even sense. tempted to be honest. I've never yeah. been tempted. I'm someone who, if I was an actor, which I have none of those <laughs> qualities, but if I could, I would never watch myself. I never yeah. listen to the podcast I'm on or interviews. I, uh, when my New York times profile came out, I didn't read it. Um, not because they said anything not great. I just, I don't really particularly want to hear myself talk or yeah. hear that. It's like, it's like nails on a wall. And and so it's not, it's not even tempting to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. If that makes sense. I, I feel like when people say that it sounds made up, but I really don't, I don't have any interest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so you know, it's interesting that you say you don't want to hear yourself talk or whatever, but then when you're, when you're working on a book of poetry, like the one that you have that's coming out, do you yeah. like, you know, in a way that's got to be like hearing yourself talk, but you're, you know, you're probably refining and revising and tweaking and all yeah. whatever word you want to use as you're getting that ready to go to press. So is that like, do you feel like that is yourself talking or can you, do you view your own work when you're revising it from a distance as if it's almost like, okay, this is now a work of art or something that I have to, it's, it's no longer just about me getting words onto the page and it's about something else now. Or uh, I think when I'm writing and editing, I'm right up next to it. And I feel like it's something that's alive and something that I'm mm -hmm. working with and doing and experiencing. No, I, I feel very connected I, when it's done though, when I have to, you know, when you write a book, it doesn't come out for a year later. So right, right. Um, sometimes when I read from what kind of woman in events, I'm shocked to find what's in there. I totally forget because I don't read my own book. And sometimes I'll move myself. <laughs> I'm like, this is beautiful, but I don't ever look at it. I don't, yeah. I, when it's done, it's done. Yeah. You know, the experience that I had writing it is over when I, when I, when it's done, I, I don't ever look at it again unless I ha have to read it out loud. Mm. And so, no, when I'm editing it and writing it, I feel very up close to it. And it's, I would say it's a very intimate time and, and wonderful, but I, not wonderful, but it also can be difficult. Yeah. But then once that experience is over, to me, I've moved on. You know, I, 
I don't really have anything to do with that anymore. It was yeah. a part of me, but now I've moved on from that. Um, yeah. Goes to somebody else's hands. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So how do you know, like, how do you know when you, like when a book's ready to go? Uh, I mean, your editor really helps with that. It's hard. It can be hard to let go for sure. Yeah. With With poetry, especially, you know, I wrote some really great poems after the deadline for what kind of woman. <laughs> and it's hard to wait you know, till 20 fall, 2023 for those to come out. Um, wait, <laughs> fall 2022. Yeah. So it can be, yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing with poetry specifically, because since you're only writing, you're writing these pieces, not a whole narrative. Yeah. That to me is, is harder than necessarily making sure everything's perfect, which that is a part of it too. But I feel like I can get to a point with a book in that way. Um, it's more like, oh, <laughs> here's a few more things I've written recently that now can't go in this particular book. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a pretty normal challenge for poetry writers. What do you read when you're when you're working on a book? Maybe even just in the revision stage. Are you reading poetry? Are you reading fiction? Are you reading, you know, nature books? Yeah. No. I mean, yes. I, all of those things. Um, <laughs> always reading poetry when I'm writing poetry. Always, I, I read a lot of fiction. I read a lot of novels. I, I feel like that getting constant new vocabulary is super important. So, um, yeah, reading all sorts of things. So you said you read a lot of fiction. What role do, does do reading the classics, uh, have in your reading life? Are you reading, you know, some people have like a rule they'll try to read for every two or three new books they read. They try to go back and read Jane Eyre or Pride and Prejudice or Shakespeare or something. Do you have, do those kind of books play a role in your reading life? Yeah, I have, um, I guess you can't see it. The Iliad and the Odyssey, actually. Oh, I know I mentioned that before, but I, I yeah. should read that quite a bit. Oh, okay. I don't sit down and read it. I read like six pages, maybe yeah, one yeah. afternoon, um, just to get the pacing and to pick up some of those pieces of language. Yeah. Mm. What do you, so like for you, it's the, the way the language is structured. Yeah. And just getting your head back in the clouds. I think it's really hard sometimes to pull the plug uh, on the mental load of real life. And so sometimes that kind of text can get your head back into imagination. Mm. So do you, are, do you like to read with your kids? No, I hate reading out loud and I hate being read too. Um, so reading to my kids is torture, <laughs> but I do do yeah. it. I do yeah. do it like as my parental duty uh, <laughs> calls for me to do. Yeah, no, I, mean, I hate reading to my kids because I also, I am a very fast reader. Um, mm. And so my eyes are moving ahead as I'm reading or being read to. And so it's yeah. torture for me to do that, to be honest. <laughs> I, it's, I have four and, and half of them can read chapter books on their own. And that to me is the sweet spot to tuck them into bed and have them uh, read to themselves. To me, that's the most magical thing they could do. Do you have like, what What are some of the favorite books that your family reads that, you know, that you, whether you read them out loud or they read them to their, to yourselves, but you know, a lot of people who listen are probably big fans of your poetry. And so, you know, would probably take your, your recommendations for, for children's books. Pretty, pretty. It highly. doesn't really matter what I recommend though. I mean, my, my son loves dog man. And to me, yeah. I don't really necessarily want to read dog man or would recommend other people give their kids dog man, but that's what he wants to read. So yeah. my daughter reads a lot of Junie B. Jones. Um, yeah. Yeah. My son read Harry Potter. I don't, I don't think I'm, <laughs> I can give him as many books as I want. He has a whole stack of books for me. 
um, that <laughs> I try to bribe him to read. And, and he's just still reading, well, he's still, re- still reading Dogman. He's reading oh, Garfield. Right, yeah. He's reading Calvin and Hobbes. Um, that's what he's reading. It doesn't really yeah. matter what the mom wants yeah. your kids to read. So I've given him lots of suggestions. Uh, yeah. I love when my kids read books that I read, like the Boxcar Children, because I yeah. can kind of experience that along with them. They've read, you know, most Beverly Cleary books by now. My kids have, you know, access to books that I never read. Mm. So they're also like, I never read Junie B. Jones because I'm I'm past that uh, time in life. So it's fun to <laughs> yeah. hear her tell me about it. <laughs> Do they like to talk to you about books? Yeah, sure. That is, yeah, I often ask what they're doing or what, what's happening in their book and they they kind of relay what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. This is one of those, one of those terrible questions people ask. So I'm just going to warn you. Oh, sure. sure. It, it's one of those list type questions. So let's say you're, oh. you're on a uh, deserted Island or something and, mm-hmm. you, and you have a backpack and for whatever reason in this hypothetical situation that has no yeah. logic to it, you're going to get to have a Mount Rushmore. So four books that are going to, that you, that you would want to have with you. Could you choose four books that as like your companions on a deserted island or a mountain peak or you know a sailboat in the middle whatever it is <laughs> yeah it's hard to answer this because it, i'm often like do you just want my four favorite books because i don't think i'd pick them i think i'd pick anthologies of short stories i've never read because just logically wouldn't you want a whole bunch of stories you've never read to last you the rest of your life i mean i would want to pick like whole bunch of Alice Monroe stories I've never yeah, read because yeah. well because she's amazing I don't want to she's amazing and like I would like to read those um yeah yeah I want things I've never read so how could I even know what that is I need Google in like 45 <laughs> minutes and then I could yeah. come up with that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean yeah sure like Lauren Groff is a huge favorite of mine but like I've already read Fates and Furies three times yeah. so do Did I you need read to Ma- keep reading Matrix that yet? yes here it's right next to me yeah yeah do you like it <laughs> yeah yeah, I did. I haven't I actually haven't read it yet, but but uh, we have you know like I own a bookstore, so we have it there, and it's like boring a hole through me that I need to I need to finally. I mean, it hasn't been out that long, but yeah, it. yeah, to make the time. Uh, it's it's hard for me to top Fates and Furies because that was such a pivotal book for me. Um, hmm. I loved it so much that I mean, Florida was wonderful too, but um, Fates and Furies was a huge book for me. Uh, so I, I do, I do love her though. She's an incredible writer. If you don't mind me asking what, what did that book do for you that like you, it sticks with you so, so much? I think it's, I think for me, whenever an author is taking a risk and, mm. and doing risky things in writing, that is so appealing to me and kind of sends tingles all over my skin. And for me, that yeah. book is it's just, it's so unlike other books I've read. Amy Bender wrote a book called The Particular Sadness of Lemon Cake, which is also just like a nutty book. <laughs> and, uh, and I mean that in a, I don't know what other adjective to use. It's just, it's unlike anything I'd ever read before. Yeah. And I just, I love, I love that. I love when, especially women take big risks like that in mm. writing. And so those two books for me, um, have been so formative uh, as far as taking, yeah, having the permission to take those risks and just going for it. Yeah. It seems like, I mean, again, working, working in a bookstore, uh, there's a lot of books out there that are sort of like, I mean, this is going to be kind of insulting, I guess, but 
and I won't name names. There's just a sense that like they have been commercially crafted. Yeah. You know, to to yeah. beat us. And like whether it's the cover art or the way they edited it or the way like there's a certain prose is like it's gonna be like this other set of books because it's going to get sold. And so when you come right. across something like that, it yeah, I think you said it sends chills down your spine. It's just kind of like you're like, Well, this is what yeah. books can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly, yes. Although I and I, I totally agree with that, and that's what I gravitate to. I also hate when people like shit all over Sally Rooney. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> not like, what I'm talking about, just to be no, clear. No, I know, but no, but it reminded me of that discourse. And I'm just kind of like, yeah, let yeah. people read what they leave her alone. Um, yeah. Let people enjoy what they enjoy. <laughs> I just, I get yeah. frustrated when we can't enjoy Amy Bender without saying, well, she's so much better. I'm not going to read Sally Rooney. It's like, well, it doesn't matter. Both of those women yeah, can yeah. be people in the poetry world, like to really put down Rupee. And that also really bothers me. Um, just let her be, I, I, I don't know, let her write what she's writing and let people get from what, what they're getting. And that's okay. I, I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, but yes, I, I know, I know what you're saying though. And um, I guess for me, it's just so incredible that they got past all the gatekeepers who are trying to, who are saying, well, that's not going to sell. Um, that's such an incredible part of it, which is what you're saying. It's like, they got past all of that and can put out something like no one's ever read. And I, I just love when that happens. Do you, do you think that, 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 I mean, is, is it just safe to assume that, that getting past that gatekeeping and writing something that's truly original and creative is more difficult for women even today? That just goes yeah, especially saying. women of color. Um, mm. It's just so difficult to get past all the gatekeeping and publishing because publishing is basically run by like five white men. And, and so it's so difficult yeah. to get past that. Um, yeah, there's just so many barriers. And it's a lot of it is about money, which makes sense. Yeah. It costs money to make books. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, a lot of factors there. People talk a lot about like the, publishing is kind of getting more and more consolidated because you've got a couple different publishing houses that are buying up the mid-level ones and then they're buying up all the the smaller presses. And people talk a lot about how that, you know, that that consolidation is bad for the industry. But I haven't heard a lot of people talk about how it it just means that the gatekeeping is getting more and more consolidated to fewer and fewer people ultimately. Um, But what you're saying here reminds makes me think that like, it's is it going to be more difficult for women of color, as you said, for people who are trying to get a start, who want to do something really original to do things that, that are going to challenge the notions of what is commercially accessible because you don't, what changes something like what, what be, notions of what's commercially accessible take a long time to kind of change. And yeah, you, you can get kind of in a, in a rut where, because things are selling, they're going to sell for a while. And then we don't know what the next thing is going to be. And so it's right. difficult for those publishers to take risks if all they care about is the commercial side. Um, do you feel like, do you feel like as a writer who has emerged and had some degree of success that it's, it is on you to some degree to help challenge those those gatekeeping and bring other people. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think there were so many people that helped me, um, Mm. And I am a big believer in karma too. So it's also selfish. I feel like the more I can 
promote other people's work. Um, it's just, it's only helping me to do that. The more women and, and the more diverse of writers we can have, to me, that's that's helping me too. That's helping what I have access to to read and what my kids have access to. I think that is a huge responsibility that comes with mm. success and not something I take lightly for sure. Yeah. Mm. What 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 interest do you have in conversations of like what poetry should be? I mean, you've talked about how, you know, you people should like what they like. They should be able to write what they want to write. And there should be options for of all kinds of readers mm-hmm. and all kinds of writers. But is there do you ever think about well, I mean, I think I'm sure you think I want my poem to be good. Yeah. <laughs> but there's sure. lots of conversations about, you know, what role formalism should have in poetry in the in the world. Like there's less of that than there was. And some people are saying, well, that's a really negative thing. So, but then some people are saying the more free poetry is, I don't even just mean formally, but the more free it is, the better. But then surrounding that somewhere is these conversations of like, there can be something good. Like poetry can be inherently good. And then sometimes it can be inherently bad. Sure. Um, sure. Do you, are you interested in those conversations at all? Sorry, sorry for the long-winded question. <laughs> no, no, no. Are you on lit Twitter? Uh, semi-lit Twitter. You dabble? I kinda, I kinda, yeah, it makes me it makes me nervous when I get on there. Like my anxiety levels, like I just need to go yeah. lie down now. <laughs> Same. I don't contribute. Sometimes I lurk. Yeah, can, that's a good word. I, I have found so many incredible writers and poetry there. So that's why I stay. Why I leave yeah. is that discourse because yeah. it is so annoying to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to be honest, sometimes yeah. really great points are made and I can yeah. learn something. But for the most part, no, I'm not interested in that conversation. I feel like just naturally the ecosystem of poetry and how we how we consume things is just going to change. And it's been changing <laughs> since the beginning yeah. of time, some people were writing it on the wall and yeah. then people were probably like, Oh my gosh, can you believe we don't write it on the wall anymore? We're really taking a turn t- towards hell, you know? So yeah. it's like writing it down and all was a big, at all was a big step. Exactly. It's like the kind of the good old days, you know, down in the mouth attitude is something I really try to avoid. Absolutely. There's so much nuance to this conversation that gets missed when we want to place all these things in boxes. Um, of course there's bad poetry. Uh, that will always be, I guess the cream rises to the top most of the time. Yeah. Jerry Seinfeld talks about that a lot. Sorry. (laughs) I keep referencing comedy writers. That is definitely a passion of mine. He talks about that a lot. He's not perfect, but he, he, uh, he talks about that a lot, how you can, you can lambast people for making bad jokes. Um, and you can say this person's not funny, but if they're not funny, then they will not have success. I guess I kind of sometimes go for that when people are like talking about people who shouldn't post their poetry on Instagram. It's like, let them do whatever they want. If people like it, then that, that's how I feel about Rupi. People are always calling, saying all sorts of negative things about her, but obviously there are people who are really connecting with what she's saying. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, Let's just celebrate that that's happening. That's kind of so, how I feel. So is there like a sense where it, even if like, let's hypothetically say someone's going to write a, ne- I mean, people have written negative reviews about her work, but like if people connect to it, then it doesn't matter whether we call it poetry or not or good poetry or not. I guess it doesn't saying. matter at all. We're yeah. all going to die. That's what I feel like. We could talk about this all day, but, but we're, we're, all just, we're all just ending up in the dirt. I don't know. Yeah. It's like, to me, it's such a waste of time. But yeah. maybe that's because I'm not like 
in academics. I think maybe when you get stuck yeah. in there, that's part of the discourse. I just yeah, don't care like about that stuff. Yeah. yeah. When you're, yes. When that's your lifeblood is talking about which poetry is valid. Um, that's just not an interesting conversation yeah. to me. Well, okay. Let, let's go back to something you said you are interested in, which is comedy, because you mentioned, you mentioned, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you mentioned the office, you know, oh, yeah. like, now that you're saying that it doesn't surprise me at all because your work is really funny. Um, oh, I mean, thanks. even, even sometimes when you're writing about something that's like, there's sort of a, a, a strain of melancholy in it. Like yeah. I, it, there are moments in there that are, that melancholy is expressed in quite funny ways. Um, <laughs> Thank you. That's like the highest compliment. <laughs> I think I was meant to be a stand-up comedian, but I'm not at all a performer or funny, but that, that performance is like right in my wheelhouse. I just love that. <laughs> I love it. Do you, do you have like, I mean, aside, like aside from the office, aside from Seinfeld, are there any books that, you know, that are like really funny novels that have, that have been oh, companions Like Samantha you. Irby? Samantha <laughs> Irby. Do you read her? She's, that's I not a not. novel. That's not a novel. That's a book of essays. I've loved books of essay, funny essays that yeah. I can't think of something better to take with me on a trip on a plane. Kimberly yeah. Harrington just wrote her divorce book and it's like, that's about divorce, but at least it's funny. I yeah. love <laughs> funny little books of essays and Samantha Irby is like, she's I'm prime for her. She I'm ex- her exact audience. Um, and what's the name of people, that book that you, um, well now I have to Google. She That's has there, 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 she has two, I think. Um, anyway, check out her books. Um, love her books. And yeah, even like, I don't know, again, it's like, I don't want to say that, but say, say it because people are like, oh, celebrity shouldn't write books. But, you know, I, I laughed at Amy Poehler's book. I laughed yeah. at Mindy Kaling's book. I yeah. think they're funny. Yeah. I, I, I'm the audience. So please keep writing those books. I will buy them. <laughs> I will read them. I like to laugh. I'm not watching Squid Game. I'm watching reruns of The New Girl. So, um, <laughs> I'm not you know? watching Squid Game either. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's too much, but it's too much violence. There's a certain, as you said, we're all going to die at a certain point. I can't be tuned <laughs> yeah. into every conversation about everything. Exactly. That's exactly. Yeah. So wait, her, um, well, no, thank you. I knew that was what it was. She wrote a book called well, no, thank you. That's the one I have, but I was trying to think of the other one. Oh yeah. We are never meeting in real life. That's the other one. Okay. I think of the title. Yeah. She wrote well, two books that I, I adore. I always say that this is a podcast for people who like to be, to be read lists. Like they just want to keep yeah. adding books to their to be read lists. <laughs> oh, good. Um, so before I let you go, look, we'll, we'll, I'll, we're basically hit as much time as I said I would take. So um, last question, is there a book that you've read recently that surprised you that like kind of blew you away? You were, maybe you weren't expecting it to be as good as it was, or it's something that you don't know a genre or a kind of book you don't normally read, but you read it and you were like, I've got to tell my people about this. Yeah. By my people, I, you take that however you want. <laughs> yeah, sure. I did write some things down because honestly, when people ask me what I read in interviews, I can't think of a single book I've ever read in my entire life. This is why I keep track of them on an account on Instagram called Bear Books. B-A-E-R is how you spell my last name, books. I have a separate account just to keep track of all the books that I read and love. Um, and the one that I read last, I was at my in-laws on a Sunday and I didn't bring anything with me, nothing against my in-laws, but I needed something to do. And my mother-in-law had this mm-hmm. book about a hermit. <laughs> this is something I'd never pick up. It's this huh. book about a hermit. Do you know it in Maine? Anyway. I don't think I lives- know that. Oh, you got to read it. it. I read it in, I read it. I sat down at four o'clock and when we left at eight o'clock, I'd finished it. Oh, wow. 
Um, it's short. Um, it was so, it was so fascinating. It's this book about this guy who lives in isolation for like decades. Um, anyway, and he, I think he, I heard about this. So I, th- I feel like some customer it. came into the store and was, cause oh. you know, people will come in and just start talking yeah. about random books that I've never read that they love. Yeah. Um, well, I've been talking about this to everyone. Oh, it's called the stranger in the woods. Anyway, it, yeah, it's the extraordinary story of the last true hermit, which is, that's kind of a ridiculous subtitle, but it is incredible. I recommend it to everyone. You, you might pass that book at a bookshop and think, I'm not going to read that, but I promise to you that you do want to read it. It's very consumable. It's very quick and it's very interesting. Um, another one that I read recently is Night Bitch by Rachel Yoder. I don't know if you guys have been yeah. promoting that. Um, that was the wild ride. I love, uh, again, that's a book that takes a lot of risks, you know, because mm. you're talking about a woman turning into a wolf. Um, that book is something that I just wasn't expecting. Yeah. So I was really taken, <laughs> it was really surprising. Anyway, I really loved that. Um, that's something I've read lately. And what else? I don't know. Animal. I'm sure you saw a lot of her book. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I always want. I, what I really want to ask people <laughs> is, what are the books that everyone's talking about that you've read recently that you just hated? But I'll never. I can't actually ask people. You can't, <laughs> and I never, ever, ever share those. Only to my yeah. closest inner circle. So of course, yeah. I don't believe in spreading that out on the internet. But yeah, that yeah. happens, and it's sad because you get that stack from the library when you take a bunch back. It's like, well, I thought I was going to love that, but yeah, that happens to everyone. Yeah, but I mean, again, there's only you. Know, we only have so many time, so much time. before we're in the dirt right so exactly we're all gonna die honestly it's such an accomplishment to finish a book that i I think talking badly about books you don't like is just just return it or donate it if you bought it and move on with your life that's my that's my uh, personal motto for books i don't enjoy (laughs) so given that given that we're all going to die and it's such an accomplishment to finish a book um maybe well you maybe you should write a book called we're all gonna die um yeah (laughs) but uh do you does it like what what does it mean to you that so many people are buying and reading your books over and over again like i've read it multiple times i've read it on poems from it on a podcast i I think it's great and um you know we have people who come into our store i've got friends who come into our bookstore and like i had eight copies of your book one day and they bought them all because they were like i gotta give this to a bunch of people. Oh, I love that. Thank so, you, person who bought eight copies. <laughs> that was nice. Shout out to her. Does, I mean, Shout out that, to her. Is that really, um, like, does that move you? Is that like really, how does that, how does that make you feel? <laughs> how does that make me feel? It, made me, it makes me feel good. Although I really cannot, I think it's hard to absorb that. Um, having a year hasn't even passed since that book's yeah. been out. And so, yeah. I don't don't know how I'll feel 10 years from now, you know, right now it's like the initial success of it was shocking because I put it out in a pandemic. Um, it was a book of poetry, one strike one in a pandemic, (laughs) big strike two and three. So that was so shocking that it's taken a while for me to really process that. Um, I'm so pleased when people connect with it. And when people write to me, I, I'm so grateful, which sounds, you know, like so annoying to say, I think gratitude, I try to really stop and feel those things because there's a lot to get worked up about, uh, in publishing. And I feel Mm -hmm. myself feeling stress a lot of the time or worry or 
feeling very sad. Um, and I, I remember like right before my book came out, someone gave me a great piece of advice, which was when you have, have moments like that, whether it's like an interview in the New York times coming out or someone writing to you and saying they are connecting with your work, just like take even just five minutes and really feel that and feel excited and, and feel happy because you can't, you can't get that back. Mm. Um, and those things do add up. And so I do really try to think about that person buying those eight copies. And I'll think about that, how wonderful that is and how, how I never would have predicted that a few years ago. So um, yeah, it is really wonderful, but it is hard to feel sometimes for sure. But in the end, we're all going to die. But also we're all going to die. So it doesn't really (laughs) matter either way. (laughs) Well, I think it does matter that people get pleasure and encouragement from your work before they die. Yes, exactly. That that's not nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, thank you so much for, for coming on and chatting about books and putting up with questions like, how does that make you feel? Um, but oh, anytime. It's been, a, it's been a lot of fun chatting with you. And again, congratulations on the success of the first book and on this new book coming out. And uh, best of luck with that one. Thank you. And um, great. I, I feel so grateful to independent bookstores, especially right now. This is a really, uh, I know it can be, a, it's a hard time. So anyone listening, support your local bookstores as much as you can because they give back so much to authors and their communities. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, no problem. Have a great day. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Well, that was Kate Baer, whose new collection of poetry is out now. It's called I Hope This Finds You Well, and it's available wherever you buy books. If you'd like to order from Goldberry Books, you can head over to our bookshop page. That's bookshop.org slash shop slash Goldberry Books. Thanks so much for listening. Please be sure to tell your friends about the show in whatever form you'd like to do. Uh, If you have a podcast app that allows reviews, we'd certainly appreciate that as well. Uh, We appreciate all all the feedback and all the help spreading the word. For all of us here at Goldberry Books, I'm David Kern. Until next time, happy reading.